0: Hello and welcome to the Browns Blitz. Today's Thursday, April 30th. This is episode number 191. I'm your host, Rod Bloom. Joining me today is my brother, Jeff. Hey, Jeff, how are things going?
1: Well, they're, they're going good, Rod. We're, we're just, we're fighting the technology tonight a little bit, aren't we?
0: Uh, just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll figure our way through that. Um, it's It's certainly not the first time.
1: Right, but this is the longest it's ever taken us to get a podcast started.
0: <laughs> I I have to agree with you there. I have to agree. <laughs> so so yeah. So uh, so let, let's bring our guest in. Our our guest is, is Joel Cade. Uh, you can follow Joel on Twitter at the Left Guard, and you have to capitalize each of those words uh, at the at the Left Guard. Um, Joel is a writer for Dog Pound Daily. Uh, Joel, how are things going for you?
2: Going pretty good. Excellent. 191 episodes.
0: Wow. Yeah, it just it just feels like this is our first one the way things are going tonight, <laughs> um, and we haven't even got started yet. So, so yeah. <laughs> Perseverance
3: we'll make yeah.
0: it. Yeah. So, uh, so this this is episode number 191 for for the podcast. It is it is the first podcast um, for. For the Browns Blitz as a part of the Fanatical Elves Network, and you can follow the Fanatical Elves Network at Elves with a Z Network. So, uh, so we're pretty excited about that to be to be working with uh, with some other podcasters, and and Joel, you're in that group. So, so we're happy to be uh, doing that, and we're happy to be talking to you tonight.
2: Oh well, thanks for uh, bringing me on. Appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. So, on on this show, we do a couple things before we dive into the Browns talk, and the first is we talk about what we're drinking, and Joel, you're the guest. You get to go first, so... Uh, okay, well,
2: uh, I'm drinking Blue Moon Belgian White. I have a an affinity toward wheat-based beers. I think I like that smooth taste, and uh, yeah, so I'm enjoying some Blue Moon.
0: Excellent. I think we I think we all know what blue moon is, so and I think we talked about that <laughs> ahead of the time. So no major description necessary, huh?
1: Does that have a slice of orange
0: floating in it, Joel? Uh,
2: no, but it did say that it was brewed with a Valencia orange peel. Ah, okay.
0: Just makes it just, just a little bit better.
2: Yeah. Kind of makes me think of summer.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. And we're kinda on the same page because I'm thinking summer and I know summer's around the corner. So I'm trying desperately to get the to get the darker beers out of the fridge. So um and especially the ones I really like. So I think this is my last one. I'm drinking a Line and Kugels chocolate dunkle. And I, it sounds like a really heavy beer. it, it is not. It's like it's like five percent alcohol and it's just it just tastes like i mean it, it has the lightness of like a chocolate milk flavor almost you know without the milk <laughs> <laughs>
3: nothing
0: <Interesting. laughs> but yeah i mean it's 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 really good and the chocolate flavor is excellent so um i don't know which one i like better between this one and the and the um i don't know joel i don't know if you've had the the killer brownie beer have you tried that
2: i have not where would i get that
0: um, I think I got it at like Dorothy Lane Market or something down here, maybe. Um, man, it's really chocolatey too. So between the two of these, if you want something that's just just an excellent chocolate taste, um, either one of them is is just excellent. Because for me, there are a lot of stouts and other things that claim to be chocolatey, and when you taste them, you taste you taste beer and you taste hints of chocolate. But when you drink these, you you taste chocolate. So it's, I I don't even know if you can get this this time of year or not, but um, it's really good. So, uh, and I think it's the last one I have and might be the last one I ever have. You never know. We'll see. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I don't even know if they're, you know, it, it may have been a limited brew. I think I got this for, um, i got this a while back i think as a gift so so yeah uh, i just kind of dug it out of the out of the fridge so nice. but but yeah if you guys find it go for it definitely so you
1: never know when you're gonna have your last beer
0: that's right that's right well i know i'm hoping um for me it's not gonna be for a while because i gotta still have a lot to work through <laughs> so, <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so Joel, this is the the part of the show where we uh, where we would like to hear about your journey as a Browns fan. So I'm gonna just turn it over to you, and anything you want to share with with us and the listeners about your your fandom. Um, it's the floor is yours.
2: Well Well, um, I kind of give you the narrative. I kind of pass on. I I grew up in uh, Pickwell, you know, you guys, just north of where you guys are at, and um, <clears throat> grew up a Bengals fan. My dad was a big Bengals fan. And I uh, went to college in Illinois. And so I was surrounded by a bunch of Bears and Packers fans. And you'd be surprised how many Packers fans live in Chicago. But um, <laughs> hanging out there when my junior year of college, the uh, the Browns absconded to Baltimore. Left a, a big scar in my life because living out of state, you know, I was always uh, uh, partial to things in-state Ohio. I was always an Ohioan at heart. And... Uh, you know, like being out of state. Also, if everybody knew I was from Ohio, so they kept asking, "What do you think about the Browns? What about this? What about that?" And you know, and eventually the Browns came back, and I just, you know, like, "Hey, these people got screwed. This is terrible." Started watching the games, rooting for them, and eventually one day I woke up and realized I'm a Browns fan. You know, I I don't really give a crap about what happens in uh, that baseball town down south. So. Here we go. I'm a Browns fan. I've been a Browns fan ever since. Been watching the games. Been a part of the Browns backers. Started writing for Dog Pound Daily about seven years ago, so you know, I've really become, you know, the Browns are my identity. I think my dad would roll over in his grave if he knew I was a Browns fan. Or if he knew I was a Guardians fan. He was very pro-Cincinnati, you know. Uh, yeah. You know? <laughs> you know, <laughs> not falling far, I'm, I'm not the apple that falls next to the tree, you know, I'm, I'm the sour apple, but <laughs> part of my football background, um, you know, I was, uh, a left guard in high school, um, had a good career in high school, um, honorable mention, all-state player in Ohio, Division One. uh, played college football, played left guard there, um, got a chance to go to Notre Dame, which I was pretty excited about, uh, went to graduate school, <clears throat> Um, in Atlanta, went back to graduate school in Chicago, where I was uh, teaching philosophy for a while at a school. Um, and um, while I was there, I got to volunteer at Bears camp for security. And uh, one of the years security, you get a, you get assigned to people at these camps. And I got assigned to Craig Krenzel, and that was the year after Ohio State won the national championship. Uh-huh. same insane! Nice. Like a lot nice. of Ohio State fans went to Illinois to go to Bears Camp to to get autographs on Ohio State stuff. And it was it was a lot of it was a lot of fun. And uh, we weren't allowed to talk to the players that we were assigned to and finally uh, Craig Krenzel looked at me like, Well wh- who are you and where are you from? And I'll tell him all this. He's like, You're an Ohioan and you didn't say anything or ask my autograph I'm like, I'm not allowed. <laughs> well, of course uh, he's like he was just flabbergasted. He's like, Yeah you guys you guys are crazy about all this. You know, you know, you get this with Ohio State, but I didn't think we would follow me all the way here to Illinois over the situation. But, yeah, there's a lot of people at Bears camp trying to get a look at the second-string quarterback.
0: <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, not not everybody knows where Pickle is. You know, people up in Cleveland and that. Um, I, I know from, from living down in Dayton, the, I mean, Pickle's a pretty – pretty serious football.
3: Uh I mean absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Uh, high school football. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So for you to play there and, and uh and do well that's um well obviously we know you play college football so um we know we know your ability there but uh but yeah I know that uh Pickle is very serious about their football. Um not that Troy isn't where you live now so um yeah,
2: yeah. you know, Troy are the big rivals, you know.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, I got kind of stuck here, but that's a different story. But, you know, when I played football in high school, my senior class was 41-6 and six, over four years. And we lost two of those six games in the final four in the state football tournament, Division One. So, I. So, mean, we weren't wow. – we didn't mess around.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. So, uh so yeah, so um, thanks for sharing that, Joel. And uh, you guys are ready? Let, let's talk a little bit of Browns. Um, we have some some Browns news, uh, some some new news, and some not so new news. Um, we we've talked a little bit about stadium stuff on here. Uh, you know, I, I know Jeff, you've been in favor of the dome stadium and that, and now uh, um, words coming out. Apparently, the they're going more toward a stadium upgrade. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about this.
3: Um, I
1: just think there's not any buy-in on the the side of, of the city and county. Um, you know, l- lack of support from the tax base to, to really have serious conversations right now about doing this right. So Haslam is yeah. saying... You know, well okay we're gonna put another band-aid on it because we we're just not getting the support that you know we think we should be getting for this
2: that, that's my take on that too like I think if, if all were equal they would try to get a dome and I would agree with the dome so I'm pro dome but yeah. uh I, I don't see it in the cards right now
0: it's kind of feel like they um, like they're kicking the can a little bit on this
3: mm-hmm. um,
1: yeah yeah we're we're just not a, a a, a big risk taker you know, as, as far as how we view these kinds of projects here in Cleveland. Um, you yeah. know, the, other cities find ways to, to get these kinds of things done and, and, you know, are at the forefront of making these things happen. And, and Cleveland just, we're, we're just not there. We're, we're like Detroit and Buffalo. We're just kind of stuck in our Rust belt, ways and just have a hard time thinking you know big like that um it's really what we should be doing we should be thinking big we should be trying to make this a world-class city and and building a facility that will serve more than you know just 10 football games a year um yeah but unfortunately that's that's kind of where we are so yeah, I think it, what's going to happen is the Haslam's are going to s- spend some money, kind of like you know, Dick Jacobs did years ago, and like Art Modell tried to um, to, to keep that facility at least somewhat decent. Um, mm-hmm. But we need to, you know, we really need to think bigger here. Almost, you know, let's
2: let's do it right. It almost feels like to me like there's like a specter hanging over this whole thing. You know, the last time. This whole let's get a new stadium, let's do something. This this didn't end well for the for the Browns fans, and you almost right. wonder if it's once bitten, twice shy. You know, <laughs> there's a little apprehensive about inter negotiations about a stadium, only to see it fall apart and other situations to happen. Not that I think that would happen again, but it doesn't mean people don't bring that collective um, trauma. To the negotiating table in the process. Yeah,
3: yeah,
0: yeah. That makes sense.
1: Um, You would think that that would have changed people's mentality, but I think what what happens is is Clevelanders just really tend to dig in their heels and say, you know what, go somewhere else. We don't care. And then when that happens, then they're like, crap. You know, (laughs) now we got (laughs) to fight like hell to get the team back. You know, and and we're always fighting for things. You know, versus you know just really coming up with a, a a big plan, a big picture of, you know, what we want Northeast Ohio to be. Um, We tend to take it in in little bites instead because it is, I mean, it's, it's a huge financial commitment, you know, and, and let's face it. We're not, we're not the most um, strong financially um, in, terms of the, the, the types of business there and, um, you know, the, the economic opportunities and so forth. We're, we're still sort of stuck in a rut, you know, ex-steel town and trying to figure out what we do next, you know. So this is the kind of project that could that could bridge that gap. You know, if, if we ever did figure out how to, to build this facility like Indianapolis has or like Minneapolis has that would take us to the next level and and start to draw Super Bowls. You know, we could we could be hosting events like the NFL Combine and things like that that, you know, really put your, your city on the map and, and attract other things, you know, but we're just not we're just really not able to think that big in, in Cleveland, unfortunately.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I wonder, too, if there's an expectation with the Haslans who seem to have more money than God, you know, what's their put in, you know, what are they put in? They're out buying parts of the Milwaukee bucks and the Columbus crew. And I, I, I wouldn't be for a 100%, you know, let's let's 100% fund this thing. And let, how much are they kicking in? Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, it, it has to be public, a public private partnership, any of these kinds of things. Right. and, mm-hmm. and, you know, we've seen it in other markets. I think, you know, in Dallas, they, they the team built their own stadium, right? Um, you know, Nick Malletti built the Coliseum out in Richfield. You know, pretty pretty much on his own, right? Um, I don't know that we want to end up with, um, you know, five hundred acres out, you know, in the middle of uh, a cornfield, someplace in Medina County, as you know, where we go to watch football games. I think we want it to impact the city of Cleveland, right?
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. So,
1: so that means you have to bring other people to the table. You know, you, you have to have cooperation from the mayor and, and city council and the Cuyahoga County leadership and, and, you know, the taxpayers have to buy in. And it's just, it's just so hard to, to get that kind of consensus to put together here. I think that's that's the stumbling block, and and Jimmy Haslam is probably sitting there going, you know, yeah, we'll we'll throw in, we'll we'll commit to this and everything, and we just need you guys to kind of meet us halfway, and I that's just not don't, enough. yeah, I don't I don't think it's I don't think it's in the cards, you know, so it would be really nice, but you know, I th- I think we just need to to move on and think about you know how nice can they make the stadium and can they. Can they beef up the surrounding area so it's a little bit more fan friendly? I mean, the the, the fact that you know the stadium is really cut off from the rest of downtown. You know, the oh, stadium, yeah. the the Rock Hall, the Science Center, you know that Inner Harbor area is just it's out there on an island, and there's there's this proposal of this land bridge that will connect that area to downtown via the the malls um, would be a huge game changer for just access you know being able to get downtown and get in and out of games because we've all done it you know you you just it you feel like herd of cattle trying to get out of the city afterward you know because there's these these pinch points right Mm -hmm. so if they could at least address that in the short term and and open some of that up that accessibility it would lead to some more development on you know on the lakefront and and start to create some of those revenue dollars that Might eventually help us to do things right.
2: Either you guys been to Green Bay and been to their stadium? Yeah, that's that. What I would like to see the Browns, if you're not going to get into a dome, do something like that where they just built on around the stadium. Mm -hmm. Right, you've got the Packer Hall of Fame, you've got the the team store, and it's like you're leaving one building to go into another building, and it's all kind of one big conglomerate thing all interconnected yeah. i mean that would be a great way to kind of expand that stadium but again you got to have the land you got to have right. the ability to do it um yeah not,
1: i think you're right i think connectivity is what it's all about i think that's what minneapolis does with their skywalk system um you know Indianapolis is a very connected downtown. It's, it's it's very walkable. It's very pedestrian and and you know nighttime entertainment friendly. You know there's there's tons of things to do in downtown and, and they're all an easy walk. Um, where Cleveland is is really very segmented in terms of those kinds of things and it's a, it's a, quite a distance between them. Yeah. So we just need a lot more connectivity in our city and. You know, these big projects are what bring that. They're, that's they're, that, that's what forces um, the economic investment and, and gets you
0: to the next level.
1: Well,
0: here, here's what I don't understand. Okay, in Indianapolis has had their, their dome, their facility for quite a while. I, I don't know how long um, things have been the way they are in Minneapolis, but right. long enough to where there have to be numbers and economic studies out there to know the impact of these new structures right well both of cities. Those
1: cities actually built two domes i mean they're, they're both on their second dome so oh true you know, yeah true, yeah yeah there's yeah. there's there's, there's, co- there's a couple sets of data in both of those cities and they're they're both northern you know colder climate cities um that you know are relying on that connectivity and um, yeah, it, it's it's not rocket science. I mean, y- you can see no, it, what it's done for both of those cities.
0: Yeah, and it, it'd be very easy to put numbers together to see what it would cost and, and what the impact, what the you know um, what what the city and, and you know what the what the city would get back out of it. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, it we just seems need like to think be beyond easier. the
1: Browns. You know, we need to think beyond our football team. You know, like I said, eight, eight or 10 events a year, you know, and then a few other, you know, concerts and, and- or whatever, it's, it's gotta be a much more multi-purpose type of a, of a facility, you know, where you're, you're hosting yeah. conventions and, and, you know, all kinds of big things, um, where you utilize that 12 months out of the year. Um, and that is what gets you that payoff, not to mention the other things that kind of come along with it. Right. Like Joel was saying, you know, all the all the attached
3: businesses. sorry right. Right. It's Step long on.
1: overdue for us to start thinking that way. I just, I've, I've been here all my life, and and I, I just know how this population thinks. And they go, man, if a pack of cigarettes is going to go up a dollar, I'm not, I'm out.
2: <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> raise the price of my beer, come on.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll pay ten bucks for a beer at a stadium. I'm not paying eleven.
3: All right there you
0: go <laughs> anyways yeah all right well um it, it sounds like things are pretty well set and, and that's going to happen in the next three to five years and then that'll you know that'll be good for five years and then the, the talk will start again that's probably what will happen yeah.
1: so i hope they do <laughs> at least as nice a job as as the the calves did um with the new rocket mortgage field house um you know, they they really did a nice job of bringing that into you know current uh, current expectations I guess um, mm-hmm. if if we could just kind of get close to that with the football stadium for the next few years that'd be great. Yeah,
2: yeah I, I think in the meantime the Jimmy Haslam will have earned some credit for being willing to to redo the stadium, update the stadium, and right. work with the stadium then they can come back and say, look, we've, we've done this, we've done this within this, you know, it's time for fan experience that we do this, this, and this.
1: I think that's a great point. Yeah. He, he needs to earn some more swag in the community.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe that'll help. And maybe that, maybe, who knows? Uh, maybe if the team does well, you know, or better over the next, you know, four or five, 10 years, um, Maybe, you know, maybe the, maybe the reaction from the city and from the, the community will be a little bit different too. Who knows?
2: And one of the things yeah. we haven't addressed with, with the dome versus the outside open air is the style of play that you can get in a dome versus a style of play that you can get off the lake off Cleveland. Right. I mean, it's hard to throw. the. We saw this in the Saints game last year. It's hard to throw the ball in 50-mile-an-hour uh, weather Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) so much less harder to catch it. David's joking, catch the ball, and you know, you have the dome situation. You can start building your team around speed, build your team around, you know, quick hitting, striking offenses. But when you have it open in the open air, you can't. Some of those things don't work out so well when you have the ball going errant, or it's so freaking cold you don't want to get hit, or it's hard when you're slipping into in mud after it rains or, you know, a lot of those things affect the way you play the game. If you're sure. trying through sod, you don't want to get, and speedy receivers don't want to come to a town that's like that. So
3: yeah.
2: I, I think you get a dome in there, you can start running a more great show on turf style stuff, going the ball over the yard and doing a lot of stuff, which I think the Browns are going to do anyway next season. It's They're just- going to try.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Stuff.
2: Yeah, I mean
1: I I like what some of the stadiums have done with with natural turf um in in their domes, their retractables. Um the other point I think you made Joel is that you know right now we're we're sort of used to our season ending right around Christmas New Year's. When you, when you start playing a lot more football in January, that becomes even more important, right? Right. That's what we want. We want to be playing games
0: in January. Yeah, do you, and do you really want your playoff games? Uh, if you if you're fortunate enough to host a play a home playoff game in January, do you really want it to be decided when your field goal kicker is kicking the ball <laughs> into a fifty mile an hour wind? You know. Um, <laughs> Right. You know, where where it just comes down to luck and the way the ball bounces and the balls are rock and and, and everybody's falling down on the field. Um, yeah.
2: And, and think of the fan experience. I mean, I don't know. I don't go to games when they're that cold. I just don't go. No, no. I just sit at home and watch them on TV.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, nobody wants to go you, you can get tickets for those games i mean i don't you know i don't know how it was last season near the end but i mean generally you can get tickets to those those games at the end when it's that cold for you know for five or ten dollars because literally nobody wants to be there right
2: and those same people will be the ones that'll say we're gonna play outside right yeah. 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 no we well, don't where are you at you're yeah. not outside you just want them to be outside
0: yeah The players are already proving they're tough by playing football. They don't need to prove they're tough by being out there, you know, fighting against frostbite and everything else. Right. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. Just got to find a way to have actual natural grass inside the dome, which can happen. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the answer.
2: Inside the dome.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, guys, uh, let's move on to. uh, Nick Chubb just is in the news every week. Maybe it's just because he's a great player, you know, and people want us to talk about him every week on the podcast. Um, I mean, Kevin Stefanski said more or less said he's not going anywhere in this um, based on the trade talk. But, you know, I I, I still see people saying that, you know, be prepared. This is going to be his last season. He's due too much money next year. Yeah. you know the Browns can't afford to pay him next year because he's on the hook for uh, sixteen million and twenty four. Um, Can we just enjoy nice things in Cleveland?
1: <laughs> no, apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh.
0: I mean, we we are we are able to uh, the Browns that is not me. Um, the Browns are able to. Restructure everybody's contract, but somehow or another, there's no way we can possibly afford to keep Nick Chubb when he's making any kind of money. So, so Joel, uh, Jeff, and I talk about this all the time. Let's get your insight on this before we move on to something else.
2: Insight exactly on what Nick Nick Chubb's contract?
0: Nick Chubb's contract and and um, you know his his future with the team. Let's put it that way. Well, first
2: of all, I don't think contracts are real. I mean, you can (laughs) reconstruct. Things anytime you want. Thank There's you. No real functional cap in the NFL, or the the New Orleans Saints would have been in cap hell for a long time ago, and still for the next hundred years. So yeah. to say that you can't keep him because of his salary, that's that's just wrong. Cool. You can add on voidable years onto a contract just for the whole point of spreading that salary out. I mean, if you want Nick Chubb, you can keep Nick Chubb. So that's one. Um, I I mean, I don't think the offense is going to be the same thing that it was last year. I don't think with Deshaun Watson, you bring in Bill Musgrave, that we're going to be signing wide receivers like Marquise Goodwin and um, Elijah Moore just so we can put three tight ends and a fullback on the field.
3: Yes, that's right.
2: So obviously you sign these people because you want to throw the football. And you Mm -hmm. sign the quarterback and guarantee him a contract. Woohoo, Lamar Jackson. You know, you sign these people because you want to throw the football, because throwing the football wins you games, period. That's what analytics proves. Now, can you just sit and just throw all the time? No. There's actual, you know, strategy and things that go on. Um, somebody had to tell it to Joe Woods, but thankfully he's not around. Um, you know, so is the offense going to run through Nick Chubb? No. Is, is Nick Chubb going to be a part of the offense? Absolutely. I think the offense will look more like the Kansas City Chiefs, more of a spread, RPOs. Uh, you guys know what RPOs are, I'm assuming. Um, mm-hmm. RPOs, uh, more option-based plays that Nick Chubb will be a weapon, one aspect of, but it won't be the Nick Chubb show. They're paying him like it's the Nick Chubb show. So I think there's probably going to be a restructure or a re- redoing of some sort. Um, he's on his second contract right now. You know analytics tells you not to use a second contract on a running back. I think Nick Chubb has done a pretty good job of earning the value of that contract. Um, I don't know. Do you follow the analytics crowd? Do you give him a third contract? Do you try to reduce his contract number? Uh, depends on what you depends on how the Browns see their offense moving forward. I think the signals are there. You brought in Bill Musgrave, who's very much a spread offense multiple options offense, you've brought in speed guys, you've brought in a lot of receivers, you bring those people in to use them. You don't just put them on your roster to stash them. And you bring in a tight end whose primary um, primary asset here is the fact that he's like 6'8 or something, wasn't that right? Some huge height, and you just throw him the ball in the end zone. So I think the offense is going to spread out, which will give Nick Chubb different opportunities than what the current offense gives him. Um, will Nick Chubb be successful? I think so, because I think Nick Chubb will be successful in whatever he does because he's one of those running backs.
3: Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, you bring
0: up some good points. Um, yeah, I, uh, I mean, I, I think based on what Jeff and I have said, I, I think that um, even with all the weapons – the Browns have brought in. I still kind of feel like they're going to kind of ease into that type of offense a little bit as uh, you know, over the first few games anyway. So, um, who knows how long that'll take. So, uh, I think Nick Chubb will probably be used more this season than he would be the following season, just because of that, because they're still kind of bringing Sean Watson back, if you will. Um, so we'll see what happens. Um, uh, it, it's going to be interesting to watch, but but yeah, I mean they obviously want to want to pass the ball, But that's how you score quickly. But when you have a guy like Nick Chubb who is you know one of the best, if not the best backs in the league, um, you know I'm sure they're going to find ways to use him. So I
2: mean, you no know, qualms for me on him being the best back in the league. When yeah, you know, I write for Dog Pound Daily when I was doing work on that draft that he was in, it was all Saquon Barkley, Saquon Barkley, Saquon Barkley. And, uh, I was helping one of the people at Dog Pound Daily learn how to break down film and scout players. Cause I kind of offer that to people who are interested. Um, mm-hmm. we were watching the Penn state Georgia game and he was wanting to watch Mike Gasecki out of Penn state. And so I'm watching this Georgia game and there's Sony Michelle on the field and Nick Chubb on the field. And I'm just watching the, the, Georgia Bulldogs were in our offense, and I've noticed this guy. He's slow to the hole, hits the hole, through the hole, and takes off. I'm like, how is this guy not being talked about? And it was Nick Chubb. Hmm. Uh, this guy's probably the best guy I've watched play football this, this draft cycle. You know, this guy's amazing. You know, it turns out he had that knee injury in college, which really kind of made his value drop. But I wrote article after article after article like draft Nick Chubb, draft Nick Chubb, draft Nick Chubb. Draft Nick Chubb. You know, so you're not going to get any qualms with me about him being probably the best NFL running back right now. The question just is, along with the dome question, how do the Browns view what they want to do moving forward? Right, the dome makes sense if you want to spread yourself out and throw the ball all over the yard and play like basketball on turf. The the dome makes sense if you want to ground and pound like an outside zone. Kyle Shanahan style offense, which is what Stefanski's been doing. Um, yeah, staying outside and playing in the weather makes sense. The question is, which one gives you the best chance to win? And I think we know where the Browns are going with this. They hired Bill Musgrave.
3: Yeah, yeah, true. So, uh, so the
0: Browns signed what uh, guard West Martin um, from West Milton Joel. So I'm expecting that you've scouted him since you live in <laughs> Troy. Um, so, so uh, um, what are your what are your thoughts on West Martin? I, I, don't know,
2: know, I, I don't
0: know. I don't know if you saw him play high school ball or not. So
2: I did not. Um, you know, I, he'd been in high school what eight years ago at least. Uh,
0: ah, yeah. probably yeah, probably eight years ago.
2: I'd been a senior eight years ago. I think that a yeah. good team back in that day too. But, uh, yeah, West Mountain is about 15 minutes from where I live right now. Um, yeah. You know, I think it's one of those situations where I, I liken this to, again, back to the same discussion we're having. What do you view West Martin doing, and what do you view your offense doing? If you're going to stay with the the outside zone, then you need to keep Teller and Batonio and hang on to them until they can't play football anymore. If you want to go on to – a more open style offense then Teller and Batonio don't become as imperative um, simply because that outside zone offense requires that you control the three technique, um, and if you can't control the three technique, you're you're just you're not running an outside zone offense. And so the thing that Teller does very well is control the third the, the uh, three technique on running plays. But if you remember mm-hmm. right, Teller was a trade by John Dorsey for a sixth rounder. Yeah, And then he was just kind of coached up to be what he is now. And, you know, God love yeah. White Teller. He's making money off of it. And, and if the Browns decide not to keep him, you know, he'll make money on the open market. There'll be teams in one of the services. But you ask yourself, is Wes Martin the same project here, right? He was drafted by the uh, Commanders, then Redskins, I believe, in the fourth round When Bill Callahan was there. So Callahan knows who he is, knows what he's about, had some interest in him. So can can Wes Martin be the coached-up air paired to right guard, or are we looking at keeping Teller in that massive contract on next season? If I had to say, yeah. if I had to yeah. go with my gut, if I had to go with my gut, I would say enjoy watching Wyatt Teller this season. Yes,
3: yeah. yeah, I
0: think uh... – when when we talked about it, we were kind of, we uh, kind of almost expected him to be traded last season so um, for picks so um, so yeah would not surprise me at all and um, yeah the Browns uh, whether it's Wes Martin or uh, you know I, I don't know who else um, I'm just looking at the Browns roster they they showed Dawson Deaton as a guard eh? he was drafted as a center was he not yeah he was, not. but he's I mean he's big big dude um not that they're not hours. all big um yeah and drew forbes are both six five three oh you know six three oh eight um you know um similar in size to to why i so um yeah so i think it, it feels like they're they're like they are handing guys to bill callahan um like they always do but you know and and seeing you know, yeah. um, who's, who's going to be the best?
2: Yeah, can you, and then that seems to be the um, – this is what I like about the current front office is that they will attack positions and just bring in a whole bunch of people and say, mm-hmm. we'll sort it out in camp.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, that's what they do. So
2: I think that's a, the best move. Instead of thinking, oh, we got receiver X, Y, and Z, we're good. We don't need to address that position. Just bring in every receiver that's out there and just let them all fight it out. <laughs>
3: Right. Well, it,
0: I mean, they're doing that somewhat at, at offensive line by bringing by mm-hmm. bringing Martin in, and they're they're certainly doing that at defensive tackle again. Um, and and they brought in quite a few guys at wide receiver now. Yeah. Um, even though <laughs> most of the guys they brought in are are going to make the team, so um, so that's a little bit different. But. Um, uh, let's see, uh, Joel. You're, I mean, you're you're an offensive line guy. Let's let's just dig in a little bit on the offensive line and get some of your thoughts. Uh, not that you haven't been already talking about it, but um, <laughs> just a little bit a little bit deeper on on some of these guys. Um, I mean, we're not trying to project a roster at this point or anything, but um, a position we haven't really talked about much is is uh, Let's let's just start with center. Um, you know, um, were, were you happy with uh, with uh, the signing of Ethan Posick or. Um, or what uh, what have been your thoughts on Nick Harris, because we haven't seen a whole lot of him. And I'll be honest, it kind of it kind of scared me when they just kind of gave him the job at the beginning of the year last year at the beginning wow. of the season.
2: I agree with you. I was freaked out about that. I thought, well, Post is going to be playing for this is all over with. Me. I mean, nothing against Nick Harris. Okay, yeah, he was, he was drafted out of Washington, which runs that same outside zone offense. So his skill set is to, um, you know, run outside zone plays left and right, and he's very good at it. My question for him is: Is he big enough to play in the NFL? And I yeah. mean size and arm length. His arm length isn't, isn't unusual for his size, and his size is kind of small. By mean by means height-wise.
3: Mm-hmm. So
2: that means defensive linemen can get their hands on him before he can get his hands on them. And So the only way to compensate for that is to be quicker off the ball. I think what we've seen is that you get these massive, big body people and they bull rush him, and then he ends up with leg injuries. And that's what he's had as a career are leg injuries. (laughs) Yeah. So I was concerned. I think the Browns were honestly concerned. That's why you bring in Ethan Postick. The fact that they went back and signed Postick should tell you a lot about what they feel about Nick Harris. And and what uh, they
0: thought about Postick and his play last season, too,
2: right? uh, Postick, too. But I don't think they're going to look at Nick Harris as any kind of solution to anything moving forward. I would love to see them draft a, uh, a center in, like, the third round. I would love to see that, but they just gave Posick, what, a three- or a four-year contract?
0: Um, I think three-year.
2: So they, they're probably thinking he's going to be sitting there for a while in that center position. You're still going to need a backup, and I'm not sure Nick Harris is the backup. I don't think you grab a center in the, in the third round, but I'm not sure Dawson Deaton is is really going to be the answer too he was a late late pick was that six or seven
0: i think he was yeah maybe seventh yeah
2: i mean if you want to bolster your offensive line pick up a center in round four
0: Well, i mean the browns still have two thirds and two fourths
2: mm-hmm. you
0: know to go with two fifths and you know and so forth and so on so um not that we expect them to use all these picks but uh but yeah they. think they have uh, they have chances to, if nothing else, bring some guys into camp and, and see what they look like, you know, especially with those ladder picks.
2: I would just like to see them get somebody that they can at least have back up post for three or four years, that once you put them in the game, you're not concerned if he's going to, like, fall apart.
3: Yeah, yeah, and...
0: Um yeah, and some of the other guys who have who have done that aren't, aren't around anymore. So, I mean, Jeff's Jeff's favorite player was not around last season. Um, like Hans. So, um right. Yeah, so uh yeah, we'll see. I I yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see him double down on center um see, in the had- draft.
2: In center last year, but he didn't look real comfortable at center.
3: Uh-huh. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And that's the thing with those interior linemen—they got to be able to play center and guard. And Forbes didn't look like he wanted any part of center. <laughs> right.
3: No. Well, I've
1: got your guy for you sitting there in the draft, probably right around the middle of the third round, maybe maybe a little earlier than that. Uh, Joe Titman out of Wisconsin can do all of that. Yeah, give me any
2: Wisconsin lineman any day of the week.
0: Yes. yes. Well, that, that would work, definitely. So uh, so Joel, let's let's get your take on Jed Wills, the guy who everybody loves to, to not love. Um, <laughs> does he get a does does he get a lot <laughs> of hate just because he because he's really struggled or in your opinion, or is it or is it because he's trying to play left tackle in Cleveland?
2: I think because of his draft slot. He was had high expectations, and I think he's come back as a kind of average guard or average tackle. Excuse me, I don't know why I was thinking guard. He's kind of come back as an average tackle. He struggles with things that tackles struggle with, which is technique. I mean, people make a bigger deal out of moving from right to left. I don't think that's, I mean, it's the same technique, just mirrored. It's, it's, I don't think it's as hard as people claim it is. And that I, would explain
1: the first season, right?
2: Uh, yeah, after season one, you're done with that stuff. Right. I just think he's kind of limited. He played at Alabama. They kind of maximize their players at Alabama. So when you get a player at Alabama, they are what they are. Uh-huh. Saban can like make those players pro-ready, but there's not much after that once you get them. They are what they are. And he struggles against the more athletic, more technically sound players that, like, normal, average left tackles struggle with. So his expectations are higher because he was the 10th pick in the draft. Yeah. I forget what his exact number was. But, honestly, you got a player who's played four years, going to come up on five pretty soon, right? That's a good mm-hmm. draft pick. Even if he's a top-10 pick, that's a good draft pick. Not every first-round pick is going to be, you know, Hall of Famer. He's right. had unfortunate unfortunate duty of following, being the first real, true person to follow Joe Thomas. And so, fans have to get used to what average tackle play looks like.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah,
0: definitely. Were, Were you surprised that the Browns extended Jack Conklin?
2: Yes. Now, I was a big Jack Conklin fan coming out of the draft. And if you guys remember that draft, they traded that pick to Tennessee and dropped back. And Tennessee took that took Jack Conklin with that draft pick. I was frustrated because I wanted them to take Jack Conklin then. Um, sure. Then they yeah. dropped back and they took Corey Coleman, who can't catch a pass. So <laughs> I like Jack Conklin, but he's been hurt a lot. I'm really surprised they brought him back. Especially when you got Hudson that you've been grooming for a year. That seemed to be a natural kind of replacement, because you can't you can't keep everybody. At some point, if you're drafting these guys, some of them have to pan out and play. And I thought that would be a perfect example of where that happened, but it just it didn't. Am I upset that Conklin's coming back? No, I think he's a good player. I just think that's a place you could have saved some money if you were interested in doing it.
3: Part of
1: that yeah. is, is is um we talked about getting used to average tackle play, um, but but average tackle play isn't all that common, right? I mean, you, you let Jack Conklin walk, and are you going to get average tackle play out of James Hudson as a full time full time guy?
2: I think what you'd have is another guy who can run the who, who can run block, but would struggle in pass block. And I think the Browns looked at that situation and said, we can't put Teller beside Hudson and pretend that that's going to be okay because that's not. And by that, I mean Teller is not known for his pass block. Right. He's just, I mean, (laughs) he's not. So, you know, you can't put that mess beside each other or you're going to have to have a tight end in blocking or you're going to have a running back chipping on that side every time you run a play. So I can understand Conklin because he can one on one some people, but if you get a superior kind of, you know, I mean, obviously a special struggle Miles Garrett. But even if you got a Jadavian Clowney out there who was motivated and actually wanted to play, I'm not sure Conklin could block him. So, I mean, average tackle play, there it is. Right.
3: Yeah. Um.
2: But if Bill Callahan's this guru, and I've never understood the guru status of him, but if Bill Callahan's this guru, then why are we not, why are the Browns not putting Hudson in there, letting him go?
0: It's kind of a good point, if he is the guru. And, I mean, he's got, it seems like, when somebody on the Browns offensive line goes down and somebody steps in, they get pretty darn good play. So you right. feel like Callahan's doing a really nice job and having these guys ready. But I don't know if this is where you're going or not, Joel, but but why do they have to keep re-signing everybody, all their starters? Why aren't there other guys who are ready to step in?
2: Yeah, that that's no, where I'm going.
1: There's a big difference in pedigree. I mean, if, if you're talking about, what was invested in, in those players? I mean, Conklin and Wills were both first round, high first round picks. Uh, Jed Wills was a mid third round pick, or excuse me, uh, James Hudson was a mid third round pick. Uh, so, you know, where is his ceiling in relation to those other two guys, right? Um, I think it's a, a, a bit unfair to, to say that a coach is going to be able to coach up a guy who was, you know, taken number 98 or something in the draft to the level of a guy who was taken in the top 10 in the draft. And I, I, I don't know that, you know, he can work that kind of magic, right? So maybe James Hudson's ceiling is is that he's a really sound swing tackle um, who can fill in a few games, you know, here and there when a guy goes down. But is he ever going to reach that level of average offensive you know our average tackle as a full-time starter. I, I I don't know his ceiling will ever get there, no matter how good his coaching is.
2: Yeah, and, and, and I'll agree with you, but I will also say at the same time, you know, analytics will tell you you don't want to spend high draft picks on positions like right tackle, right? You want to spend your high draft picks on uh, players that impact scoring opportunities or. You know, scoring entries on both sides of the ball. So what they'll tell you is these offensive linemen outside of left tackle, you should spend, money, spend a pick on a left tackle. You should be able to pick these guys up in rounds three, four, five, and six. And so that's where Callahan needs to come in and coach some guys up and save some, some money for the team so they're not paying premium prices for a position that's not going to impact the outcome of the game. So... Yeah. Hudson was a unique case because he was playing defensive tackle and he didn't have a lot of the technicals, like the footwork, the hand placement, some of the um, reps that you would need to be an effective offensive tackle in the NFL before Mm -hmm. coming into the NFL. So that's where someone like Callahan really has to do some work because you've given him an athlete with skill, with, athleticism that has to be molded in the skill department.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I just look at a guy like Drew Forbes, who's, who's barely played. I I know he sat out the one, one COVID season, but it feels like he's been on the team forever. Um, Yeah. You know, and a guy like that just feels like he's been a project and you almost feel like when they keep a guy that long, he, he either should be the, you know, one of the first guys off the bench or, um, you know, or should be challenging to start or something at some point.
2: And he's um, going to have to be this year.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: First guy off the bench on the interior this
0: year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Um, Still so got the draft coming up and. uh i guess there would be some battles for some positions on that offensive line so so uh, we'll see what happens guys so uh we got we kind of got a late start tonight, but uh, i think we got through this thing without a whole lot more hiccup so that's kind of cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh, so so let's let's put a wrap on this thing uh, uh Joel, do you have anything you'd like to say in closing tonight?
2: Uh you know, I think we've covered a lot of everything I wanted to talk about. Um, you know, go Browns.
0: All right. Uh, Jeff, anything anything in closing tonight?
1: Yeah, I think the next few weeks are gonna be exciting to to start really diving into um the draft and how the Browns are going to approach it. Um in terms of you know where we're going to allocate those resources that we have in the draft, you know the, the later picks and so forth, because right now um, this roster looks pretty complete with the, the exception of a couple places,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I think you know that there there are still some um, free agents out there that could pot- be potential fits. Um, so I'm really kind of kind of anxious to see how they're going to fit eight draft picks. Onto this roster, Uh, I don't, I don't see that happening. Um, So the the next few weeks will be a lot of fun.
0: That's for sure. As, uh, as the off season always is.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah. There's, there's no losses in the off season, right?
0: (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) All right. Well, this has been the Browns Blitz. We thank you for listening, and we will catch you next time.